Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 324. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we talk about voting casually in conversation all the time. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I'm just here to remind you about the research that the number one thing that affects voter turnout is literally just talking about voting. The amount of number of times people just hear people talk about voting. So let's remember that as we turn our attention to the midterms, uh, let's just constantly talk about voting. Speaking of which, this week we're going to talk about how some candidates just won't talk about anything because they won't debate each other. We'll also ask if streaming TV is having an existential crisis and we'll answer the burning question of why don't millennials have hobbies? Yes, it is a question that I didn't know was burning either, but it is apparently burning. Today, I'm so excited for today's panel, folks. Oh my God. So joining us for the one millionth time, is uh, a veteran of uh, Fake the Nation. He's also a veteran of the US Armed Forces, just a little side note about him. He's also just like one of the more excellent comedians out there. Do yourself a favor and see this man live. You can do that all over the country. Um, and then especially in Los Angeles, where he currently resides, it is the one and only, one of my faves, Banari Poulton. Hey, Banari. Hey, so happy to be here for the millionth time. <laughs> it's a banner day. It's a banner, banner day. day. 
Also joining us for the very first time. He just has nine to go before he joins Benari's ranks. Um, but he is a, a, just a legend of comedy. You may know him and be and, and freak out about his work in his stuff like Kids in the Hall or as a writer for SNL. But the thing I'm super duper excited about is his one person show at the Soho Playhouse. It's going to be in October in New York City. I'm going to be there. You should be there. I'm so excited for this show. It's called Tales of Bravery and Stupidity is the one and only Bruce McCulloch. Hey, Bruce. Hip, hip, hey. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my God. So such a joy to have you both. I'm coming for you, Benari. Okay. <laughs> Numerically, not not, not culturally. <laughs> now, before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners um, that they can support the show at patreon.com slash fake the nation. Sorry, patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad, <laughs> my name. And uh, we upload a bunch of like really fun um, bonus episodes of the show. The one that just went out was with Peppermint, the very um, well-regarded Peppermint, one of the Fake the Nation faves, and Katie Hannigan. And together, the three of us talked about cheating, like in class, um, the many schemes and machinations of cheating, if we've ever done it. And then a very notable case uh, this year in which a bunch of kids did it and how they were found out by their teacher. Uh, it's a super fun episode. So if you want to join in on the fun, Go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And for as little as $4 a month, you can get bonus episodes of Fake the Nation. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? You know what I mean? And then also, the other thing I want to let you guys know is um, this is an unusual week in that we're taping quite early. So whatever you think has happened this week, we don't know about it yet. So it, we're taping quite early. Um, so forgive us if we miss whatever huge thing that, you know, Ron DeSantis did or whatever. All right, let us get into it with topic number one. There's a funny new trend which is that Republican candidates are avoiding talking to local and national media about their policy positions. And then to make matters worse, they're refusing to do debates. So voters don't know what they're actually about. For example, in Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, and three congressional reps skipped the Des Moines Register political soapbox, which is an Iowa State Fair tradition where candidates talk to the public about where they stand on the issues. They just flat out just didn't show up, just didn't do it, wouldn't do it. Uh, Is this... Say nothing practice a good campaign tactic. What's going on? You know what, Blenari, since you're the veteran here Come on, on the Bat. show, you show jump me how it's in done. first. Show yeah, you need to give show Bruce some pointers here. As opposed to the Republicans who don't want to talk, I'm happy to I'm happy to <laughs> to take the time and the limelight because I think the problem is is when you have shitty ideas and shitty policies that people hate in a democracy that's usually bad. Uh you know, for, for election purposes. Uh, and I think they're just now, you know, they're, we know where they stand. I, I don't know. I don't know any more if debates even serve a political purpose with the current polarization in our country, uh, because, you know, right now we're, we're in like reality versus whatever world the Republicans are living in. And you can't really have a legitimate debate either. I mean, if you have election deniers as part of a debate process, you're making a mockery of the whole thing anyway. You know, I think we had these grand ideas that 
political debates are still like the Lincoln Douglas debates. And good sir, I, I I promise you know to 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 do more for the common welfare. And we're not like that anymore. We've we've degenerated you know into sort of like my opponent has a small dick. What are you going to do about it? And and so I think that. <laughs> I think that we've True. turned I think we've turned debates into this sort of entertainment spectacle. But in addition to that, when it comes to the policies themselves, Republican policies have proven to be so unpopular they can't even publicly talk about it. What they are. They can't even yeah, they can't even just list them. Bruce, well, well, what do you think about this no no talking? Well, what may be more kind of human and uplifting is take the candidates and tie them to chairs. And then bring in school uh-huh. children. I follow you so far. You, you know, um, and the ones who uh, they're fucking up the world for. And, you know, school children <laughs> generally aren't Republicans or Democrats. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. they, you know they're my more top, into hip-hop or whatever. Is real is a real hard-line right-wing yeah, Republican, by I, the way. I'm, I'm Team Rihanna. Um, <laughs> and then just ask them policy questions. And then every time they don't answer or filibuster, just just slime them like they did on Nickelodeon. Oh, and, oh. so I'm yeah. I'm I'm I saying love it's a, it's this. because of course, and you know, as as you said, Benari, the only thing that really matters is policy, and no one will ever talk about it. And that's why in the old days, when you would watch debates, they were fine. But really, the town halls, when they weren't too manicured by who could speak. And who couldn't speak like so if there's a way to sort of round robin a bunch of uh, a bunch of prying faces of who's you know they're fucking up the world for that i think that might be more helpful now okay so here's the thing like for example the democratic candidate westmore and the republican candidate dan cox were invited to do a um holy shit what state are those guys in Ah, what state are those guys in? Sorry. Zebra land. In zebra land. Hold on, let me see what I Said can the uh, out of. Uh, this, is, this is what we call improv, folks. Just off the top of my head, I, I just came up with that. What state? I can't forget. Oh, Maryland. Okay. Um, so, so, so out of Maryland, the Democratic candidate Westmore and Republican candidate Dan Cox were invited to do a, 20, a September 27th gubernatorial forum, uh, but Moore declined to do it. That's the Democratic candidate declined to do it, say it. he didn't want to, quote, elevate the dangerous views of his challengers. What do you think of that kind of argument where a Democrat refuses to show up because, you know, they might be debating an election denier and they don't want to elevate those views? What do you think, Bruce, of of that kind of argument? Um, Well, you know, I I think there is really something in that because it's, you know, it maybe started with the flat earther uh, society and certainly now the, uh, you know, the election was stolen deniers or or, or proponents, which is if you're if you're arguing that in a debate, you have to give the ridiculous side the uh, as much time. So they yeah. get an opening remark, yep. which makes it seem valid. So just on, you know, just on balance by the fact that you are allowing the person as much airtime for a ridiculous thing, like the earth is flat or the election yeah. is stolen, gives it credence. So in a way, there's really something to that. Except for then, we still don't know. Then we, then we're robbed of knowing what the le- what the democratic candidate is about and we're robbed of no- I mean is there something to be said of getting these people on the on the podium so that we could at least get a sense even if they are spewing ridiculous lies how 
it, maybe it's a chance for the the Democrat to call out those ridiculous lies and but see I, how the other candidate handles it and see how they both handle themselves. You know, unfortunately, I think we saw the the worst case scenario in 2016, which was we saw a ridiculous parody of a candidate make a mockery of the entire process, including the debate process, who spewed utter nonsense and then was democratically elected. And and he spewed dangerous ideas on stage. He was given, you know, airtime in both, you know, the, the Fox News world, but also in the legi- legitimate arena of the political debate. And by legitimizing it, it made it seem like there are two sides to the issue or, or that we can talk about both sides. And I think that we're we're really in an inflection point, not just politically, but also like how we need to reimagine how we how we run this system, you know, because these dangerous ideas aren't going to go away if we don't talk about them. They have to be addressed. It, there has to be some answer to this. Um, but and, and just because they're not going to debate each other, that doesn't mean that one candidate still doesn't have dangerous ideas that they're proponents of. And if they get elected, they will enact them. Um. So so the other thing that, you know, the, that has happened, as you mentioned, sort of Benari, is that they're attacking the press just generally. And a, a political scientist out of University of Michigan, Nicholas Valentino, he pointed out that based, there's a lot of studies that indicate that when a local new like when no local newspapers go out of business because they're just they're they've been going out of business because it's the the news business model is very difficult. Voters then tend to vote in more partisan ways. So not only are they attacking the news and news outlets for you know promoting for for whatever being being fake news um they're also the 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 news that is out there is fault you know is going out of business and so then it leaves people kind of just being partisan i don't know what (laughs) this person stands for so i'm just going to be a republican because that's what i've basically been as opposed to we we used to have more swing voters now it's just like one guy named gerald that's left he's the swing voter (laughs) And, Ger- and, you know, maybe we should have Gerald moderate. And I'm really liking this. <laughs> I'm really liking Bruce's slime idea more and more. I'm yes, thinking yes, more. Me too. What if we do a dunk tank and we hook them up Ooh. like lie detector style? So if you say something that's just verifiably false, you're dunked. And yeah. that way people get a visual of saying, OK, that's bullshit because he's, he's in the tank. Um. Well, I'm also seeing David Blaine participating <laughs> somehow. A lot of what we're saying today kind of has his vibe. Bruce, you were going to say? Well, I, I, I think the showmanship aspect is not something to be denied, especially if we want people who are, you know, under 40 to be watching the debates. I mean, you know, that's I was I was thinking as you were talking is like, what do 20 year olds do in terms of their news source? Like, is it, you know, it's not on TikTok. It's not their friends. Does it does it absorb through their heads as they walk through their homes with their with their drunk dads or like where do they get their news? And why are drunk dads drunk? Why are dads drunks? Everybody's drunk. Dads drunk. Drunk dad in America. Yeah. Oh, Bruce is um, <laughs> unveiling some personal issues that he's dealt with over the years in therapy. Um, Gas no. is too high, and the guy at Taco Bell's an asshole. <laughs> 
That's how I'm voting. <laughs> By the way, the, there was a piece that came out recently whose headline I read, but I did not read the body of it. So whatever I say right now is like not fucking real. Um, that that the I think Gen Z uses TikTok as a search tool. Like that's one of the first places they go. It's not you know the rest of us use Google or whatever or Bing, of course. But uh, Gen Z will use um, will use TikTok. So why do debates? Just hire a bunch of fourteen year old kids to to do your talking points in a cool, fun TikTok. Right. What if it's a TikTok? What if it's a just like a moderated by like a TikTok influencer, and and it's only and they have to respond through interpretive dance. I mean, is the other possibility. Well, you're going back to flash mobs of a few years ago where I was trying to get my bizarre <laughs> ideas out into America in a very subversive Forward. way. And I, I spent thousands of dollars hiring those people. <laughs> and, it didn't, and it didn't move the needle, as we like to say. <laughs> Folks, um, let me know. What do you think we should be doing? Uh, do our debates, you know what, before I even close it out, when it the last time that you watched a debate, which is presumably either very recently in a primary race or in 2020, did you feel like it did anything for you? I mean, the most no. I mean, I watch debates all the time, and I'm. I would actually argue I can't even remember. Like, I remember one of the earliest debates I ever saw was Lloyd Benson absolutely decimating. Dan Quayle in a vice presidential debate, oh, and that wow. didn't even matter. Memories, and it didn't even matter because, like, that guy went on to become like Dan Quayle became vice president. So, I, I feel like for a long time, we we've we've dressed up the debates to be this this sort of um, standard for the 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 gentleman's agreement of politics. Um, and it's a part of a campaign. But I don't know. I actually don't know how effective they are, except for hurting an incumbent candidate. You know, if a, if a candidate really fucks up in a debate, it, it usually hurts them. But I don't or know. hurting a, a candidate that's ahead, like John Fetterman, yeah. up until very recently, was kind of refusing to debate Mehmet Oz. And, like, finally they agreed, I think they're going to be doing a debate. But Fetterman was like, I'm, you know, the, the, the thing, feeling was he's ahead. Why? would? What if he messes up? What if he says something stupid? I mean, he could only hurt himself. Yeah. So. All right. Well, folks, let me know what you think. Do you still think the debate matters? Are you um, left wondering the about the poly, policy positions of your candidates? Uh, hit me up. I'm so curious to hear. And keep talking about voting. Everybody talk about voting. It'll get more people to vote. All right. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll continue. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. 
And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. back and we're ready for topic number two. So the streaming wars have given way to a weird, slow streaming, I don't know, shrinking challenge. Um, streaming has finally attracted more viewers than cable or broadcast TV, but now streamers like HBO Max have dropped titles from their libraries. They've abandoned plans to stream movies like Batgirl. It's unclear whether their programming is as ambitious as it used to be. And also there might be something going on with audiences akin to like not caring about TV much anymore. Uh, or or I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a question for the two of you. So we read a piece in the Washington Post called Streaming TV is Having an Existential Crisis and Viewers Can Tell. So my first real question is, can you tell as a viewer that that streaming uh, TV is having an existential crisis? <clears throat> well, I'll start this time. I, I You know, it, it clearly is. And I think it's it's like a restaurant that isn't sh- sure about the food. So they give you an awful lot of it. Um, you know, how good it is. So they give you an awful lot of it. Um, and I, you know, when I, like I look, I, and I think there should be an algorithm that actually shows how long you look for a show before you watch a show. I think that should be a very important metric That's for funny, people yeah. because, you know, even my wife and I are like, Last night, we I think we spent 40 minutes trying to figure out something to watch, and then we fell asleep after 20 minutes. So does that really <laughs> count? But I think if you look on, you know, and I've recently done a show on Amazon, but if you look at, say, Netflix, it's like, oh, these first two things, oh, they're fresh. But the things that are number three and four, what is this, a movie? Like, <laughs> you know, is this Leprechaun in the Hood? Hold it. This is 27 <laughs> years old. You're acting like it's fresh. So I think there, I think there's a lot of um, madness and people don't know, in a way, corporately who they are or what they want. So I think there's a lot of, you know, as we used to say, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. 
I think there's also this hyper awareness of the algorithm as if, as if the algorithm is sentient, like the algorithm knows what I watch and I won't watch this thing because then I'm just going to get all these, you know, Korean rom-coms suddenly is going to be funneled to me. So I, I won't even try that maybe. Um, and I th- and I think that it, it's a real bummer to hear that the streamers want you to binge your shows all at once. Like if you don't have a good weekend of binging like 29 episodes of your favorite show like I like to enjoy the show if I really if I'm really into a show I kind of want to space it out and 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 like sit with it and and like the old days like when you know like back back in the 90s when you could watch a show once a week and you look forward Uh, to it Sanford and Son (laughs) but but in a way I think it's almost more insidious because or maybe not insidious it's it's deeper than that is which is because the streamers you know, they make their decisions based on the algorithms as well. And so if if you've created a show that they didn't binge watch and they just watched it like gentlefolk, <laughs> you know, Sunday afternoon with tea every week faithfully, it's not it's not as important to them. And, you know, moreover, you know, I've done shows on network and I've done shows on streaming. You do shows on network, you could phone up somebody, an actual mm-hmm. person and go, hey, How's the show doing in the West Coast? How did it do in Phoenix last week? And they'll, and they'll go, I don't know why you want to know what's, how it did in Phoenix, but here's the number. And I think now what they've we've done in terms of the uh, creation of shows is bifurcated, you know, the executives who, and there's always lots of really good executives. We always make jokes about how bad executives <laughs> are. You know, they're the ones who are just as, um, uh, like creators, girding under, if that's the right word, uh, the algorithms. So they're in fear of kind of, this Kafka-esque uh, algorithm thing, which, and maybe it's in a machine in another warehouse, you know, or in Orlando, and you, they won't tell right. you where it is, and they won't tell you the results, but the, they know the results. So it's, it's kind of like you become um, s- sort of a surf in a way if you're creating, or can be if you're, if you're creating for, uh, you know, streaming. Yeah, well, and- you know, did you? If I don't know if either of you watched the show Barry, but there was um, there's a joke in <laughs> yes. Barry, and I'm not giving anything away, but like where one of the characters gets to make a TV show, and the TV show goes up, and it's got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just a critical darling; everybody loves it. And on day one, it's on the front page, and the creators just like, "Oh my god, my show's on the front page! This is so exciting!" Um, and then by day two, they can't find the show. It didn't even and make it to day two. It's like it by did, the afternoon, right. it's already buried by the algorithm <laughs> it was buried by the algorithm nobody could find it and they canceled the show because the algorithm had decided that people didn't like it enough and so and so um when uh what's his face uh bill Hader was was you know asked about that they were like well that was a little too on the nose it's you know not really like that and he's like but that's literally what happened to one of my friends like that's where i got the ideas because the algorithm buried a friend of mine's show and the show was over like that's that's what happened and so that kind of thing this idea that we're all like living in fear of this algorithm that's being fed you know um whatever roses and tv shows in some like 
like warehouse in Orlando is true. Like we are all kind of like living in that fear. And then the other thing is, and I don't know um, how you, either of you feel about this, but there is let, I mean, this is, um, this is a little bit like, woe is me to like all of the fucking creators out there who earn enough there. Everyone's doing fine, but also (laughs) they don't make as much money because there's no residuals anymore. Um, You just, you know, the seasons are shorter. There's just less, there's oddly less work, even though there's more shows. Um, And there's more short-term work. There's more short-term work. So then there's less stability overall. Yeah. um, And there's just more competition for the short-term work that there is. Uh, So what do you feel? Do you feel a kind of doggy-dog atmosphere um, out there in, in Hollywood? Well, for me, I feel more like we, you know, and I was just with a bunch of stand-ups doing a, a certain kind of show, a debate show, actually. And it was like, it's never been worse. The the bottom's falling out. and But people have been saying that for 20 years. And I do okay. think, though, that I think it makes us kind of all bond together. Because anytime I talk to someone who is a creator like myself, or a would-be or a showrunner, we, we commiserate. We're not as competitive as we used to be. Um and I get it from the audience point of view because when I turn on something, I just want something to be really good. And I turned on a, a movie that Netflix suggests. And I was just like, I hate this tone. Why am I being suggested this? So in a way, I, I, I care about that creator. But if I don't like the tone of that show, I'm a consumer. And that's, you know, we, we vote with our eyeballs and our, and our phones. So, um, but for us, you know, we're all, we're all as artists, we're all weirdos and we're not good at business and we're all trying to find our way. So... Um, you know, it really is a time of change. Well, let's, okay, so let's look, turn a little bit to what's actually happening with the streamers. So Netflix plans to add an advertising-supported model for a lower price. Um, they're also going to crack down on password sharing. Uh, that's a heads up to all the ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends out there who are still using your password. Uh, Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus, which you can subscribe as a bundle. Um, they're taking a billion-dollar hit in the fiscal uh, in the third fiscal quarter. Uh, Warner Brothers and Discovery is cutting shows from its archives and unfinished movies um, for. From HBO Max as it merges with uh, Discovery Plus um, because it promised shareholders $3 billion cut of cuts. Um, but yeah, a lot of these people... So there's, there's been... Um, Netflix had a really like storied loss in subscribers. Uh, have you... I mean, one of the things the article points out is that a lot of these executives are like, oh, we're like basically going back to it's just cable. Mm-hmm. We're selling ads and um and the other thing that they have noticed is that the programming seems to be less ambitious. So what do you I mean what have you noticed about uh what's actually happening and has it changed any of your behaviors when it comes to being a subscriber to something? Well, I think part of the the change is that the original streaming model was trying to attract as many subscribers as possible. So it was all about growth and it was about market growth and quarters. And now there's only so many people in the world. And now everyone pretty much that's going to have streaming has the streaming services. So there's really not much more room to grow that area. So now they have to go back to the content and how are we going to keep and maintain these subscribers and compete with other streamers and make it more valuable than some other streaming service. And I think this is where the opportunity comes in because, you know, for a long time, we were, we went from being creators or creatives to just 
content creators. Like, we're just creating content for these Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And now, you know, now we're kind of moving back to, okay, the content should be good because that's what's going to keep people here. Well, and also in the old days, there was a thing that you – you thought you knew what an HBO show was. You you would like some more than others. Mm-hmm. You you would look on Comedy Central if you were a young high boy, um, and <laughs> watch the Kids in the Hall. And you would IFC if you just had weird weird tastes. And and there were cool things there too. So I think you know I the the question is what the um, I think what all the industry will do out of this. And as I'm and I'm just getting ready to pitch a show, so I'm having a lot of these conversations, which is like we don't know anymore. Okay, we're just going to go with what we like. And I think there was the, there was the old days when someone at HBO could greenlight your show and there wasn't so much algorithms. And I think because there's so much competition and nobody knows anything anymore, my hope is that certain good executives, and there's actually lots of great executives who are encumbered often, um, who will go back to their instincts and they will be allowed to. I don't know. That's just my hope. Yeah, and, and you know, you can... You can tell we've all we've all been pitching recently. I'm I'm, I'm guessing um, because you know you're because because when <laughs> yes. you're in the room, that's the answer you get. They're like, I like it. I just don't. I just don't know right now. I don't know who's watching or we don't. They they literally don't know what gets eyeballs right now. Well, and I had this hilarious conversation. So one of the things that they pointed out in this piece that we read is that comedy has suffered the most out of all of this because comedy is very specific. Mm -hmm. It's hard to manufacture something generic, Mm -hmm. right? It's like with a crime show, crime shows are the, you know, are paint by numbers. Everybody knows the, the formula. You can make that work. But comedy is a different kind of magical beast and you don't always strike the magic a, and then B, it doesn't translate in every language. Like sometimes a British comedy in English does not make sense to me. You know what I mean? I yeah, once and did stand up. Sorry. Sometimes American comedies don't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a Canadian on the show. That should have been. Shots fired. Look out. I should have trigger warned everybody that there's a Canadian on the show today. Um, but no, I, I, I once, I went and did stand up once in Cape Town, South Africa, and I. I, you know, I went up, I did my thing. It was totally fine. They they understood everything I was doing because I'm I'm an American and they get American stuff every day, um, you know, in their earballs and in their eyeballs. And when I was in the audience watching my fellow comedians, the South African comedians do the stand-up, I truly didn't understand what was going on. Though they were speaking English, I just like didn't get it. And I think that's because sometimes it just, things do not translate. Uh, and so there, that's a big problem and I had it like a also like remakes a, I just want to say that yeah. it used to be for especially in America if there was a very popular you know if like oh this funny Kenyan comedy they would be like okay we'll just remake it as an American comedy but the streamer like if you're Netflix you can be like we'll just purchase the rights to that Kenyan to comedy that, yeah, 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 and just yeah, put yeah, it yeah. on we don't need to remake it <laughs> Right, right, right. There's also that, but but literally every you know my my um my managers recently were like, it's a really tough time for comedy. <laughs> like they had the most sobering. I was like, are you guys gonna cry right now? Like it was so like intense. This little speech I got about it's a tough time. Like CBS didn't buy anything. This didn't happen. That didn't happen. And um and that's very unusual. I mean, why do you think comedy specifically, Bruce, is getting mm. dumped on? 
Well, people sure liked our reboot. Um, no, I think it's, <laughs> you know what, I, what it is? I think in terms of, if you talk about in terms of the machine of making shows, the, sh- the machine of green lighting shows and algorithms, as we've discussed, um, you can go, okay, people like murder thrillers. And is this a good one versus that one? And, and does, do, do the story beats turn fast enough? All, whatever you would do if you were in that industry or that landscape, I have no idea what it is. But I think with comedy, um, it's it's so personal. Like someone's just on the Zoom with me, going, "Can I give this guy ten million dollars to go do eight, six episodes or something?" <laughs> and and they can't control it in the same way because we're always talking about tone. We're always talking about taste. You can't you can't have a machine see how many laughs there's going to be that aren't that are on the page because a big laugh's going to be huh not mm-hmm. a funny joke. And right. so I think I think they can't control the content in the same way. So I think people are uh, more leery to for the robots to to press the button to hire your 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 comedy. <laughs> and you need to experiment. Look, a lot of comedy right. needs to not work before you get to the stuff that really works. Like you really need, you know, there there's so much that's you know, it's it, it is it's magic because even when you're doing it you, you still don't know like is it funny? You, you don't know till the audience laughs. And you don't know right. exactly but what the- And speaking of which, like it's not that we've been also in this weird zone where like Emmys go to shows that aren't that are for comedy that are not actually funny. They're just very good shows. They just Mm -hmm. have to be 30 minutes. Um, And so we haven't, for whatever reason, been able to wrap our heads around the 30 minute drama. (laughs) And I just want to say, guys, it's okay. We they exist. 30 minute dramas exist. We don't have to call them comedies. Um, And I I remember I had a meeting with an executive recently who was just like, listen, I want a thing with punchlines. Do I don't bring me something that doesn't have? I'm so tired. Do not bring me something that's prestige. I want a 30 minute thing that is also like laugh heavy. A punchline every seven seconds. <laughs> every seven seconds, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so, I don't know. I do, I do think. I mean, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, are you fucking tired of not having comedies? Please tell me you are, and then call every executive you know, uh, because I'm I'm personally all I want is more comedies out there um okay well folks uh are you unsubscribing is this any of this happening for you are you just sticking with cable can i can i be honest with you guys i still have cable i still have cable i don't care who knows it there i said it out loud Uh, i I still have rabbit ears and watch hockey night in canada from 1972 i don't know how i do that there's just a room in in a closet i walk through in the back of my house and that happens i've kept this small black and white (laughs) i carry it with me it still picks it up All right, let us move on to topic number three. We read a piece in The Walrus by Alicia Sani that asked the question that I had no idea was a question. Why don't millennials have hobbies? Uh, But then it kind of struck me. Do they not? I mean, maybe they don't. Is this real? Uh, So before we get into the heart of the piece, I wanted to ask both of you if you have hobbies and how hobbies might play a part in your leisure time. I was actually saying to my wife the other day, it's like, I don't have any hobbies. I'm either going to run or work or have, have a gin. Like, I don't know. I'm not, the, <laughs> I'm not the guy who says, we better paint that wall. And I think, you know, hobbies probably are a good idea, but I certainly feel um, as a lifelong, I, I, don't, I guess I could say work pig, um, hobbies have not been something that I've, <laughs> uh-huh. I've, uh, I've thought of. 
it's right. And and even painting the wall has a utilitarian function. I feel like that that falls outside of hobby land because it's you're it's serving a purpose. A hobby, by the way, uh, before you tell us your answer, Benari. <laughs> yeah. Is, Let's define hobby. <laughs> well, in fact, in, in fact, in the article, there's something they they coined serious leisure, um, it, which means a systemic pursuit of an activity like rock climbing or singing that usually requires a special skill. Like you're not going to go become an, a professional rock climber, but it does require some skill for you to do it. So that's that kind of what defines a hobby in that sense. Benari, does does that ring true for you? Do you are you? It's it's hard to know because I'm tail end Gen X, so we turned all our hobbies into like our lives and personalities and work. You know, I'm a nerd, so I love, you know, D and D role playing games or like cyberpunk stuff like that. And even through the pandemic, I got sucked back into it with people I hadn't talked to in years back in Boston, and we do like a weekly group, like a role playing online thing. It's it's like a hobby, but it's also like a creative outlet i've generated you know generated story ideas from it it you know because it's a creative community i collect comic books and you know still i've dabbled and then written a, a couple now so it's like is that still a hobby anymore or is it a or is it just like a love i i don't even know i don't even know i don't know well i don't even know well i think they are hobbies i you know i think the real thing that a hobby does is you're not trying to turn it to commerce Right. And, you know, and of course, a lot of people do their hobbies and there's there's actually a lot of amazing work on Etsy where they make their things they love and mm-hmm. and then they they make an extra four dollars for sure for making them. <laughs> right. But, you know, I, my my father in law makes wood wooden lamps and he really likes making them. And, you know, the first two are really nice to get. And then <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got another surprise. Still going. He's, you know, still yeah, going. He, he's got a Halloween <laughs> lamp for you that, you know, and so I. I think it's great because I, I think our brains, as as we just stare at our phones 15 hours a day, I think theoretically a hobby is the opposite of that. It's just li- like you say, doing a, something that takes your brain that is very specific as opposed to jumping around like a frog, which we all, we all, the ADD, you know, all of us now. So I think if I believe in hobbies, I just don't know which one I would have. Well, and this, and the, the the sort of gist of the um, of what the writer had sort of discovered about herself was she wrote, "I had sought the help of an algorithm." So she she talked about like turning to social media to figure out a hobby, and she said, "I had sought the help of an algorithm to help me figure out how to spend my free time." In my mind, it was easier to get lost in a rabbit hole of content than take the time to discover what might actually interest me. And so maybe there's something about the being the generation of social media that makes it because everything on social media is so presentational and I think the thing about a hobby is that it's really about just you and some joy that you you know get out of something like um I uh I have um a little balcony and I do a lot of gardening on this balcony and I've discovered I think this is my hobby because I will just like think about my plants, look at my plants. I mean, and it's really just for me, like nobody really cares what my plants look like or how well they're doing, but they're like my friends. And (laughs) I, (laughs) they're my friends. 
and I think in like I'll just I'll like spe- I'll be like you know what I need to clear my head and I'll go out on the balcony and I'll like deadhead some marigolds for five minutes you know what I mean just to like and I feel like I really get this sort of like soothing thing out of caring for these plants um, and I think that that's maybe my hobby I think what's great about a hobby is you can love it without actually knowing if you're good at it like you yes. don't it, it require it requires like no feedback whatsoever of like how well you're doing at the hobby you're like yes. am I am I did I did I have a good time spending that period of time doing whatever it was that I was doing yeah, yeah I, I yeah I love that you don't need because I'm not I, I'm not no one's gonna <laughs> accuse me of having a green thumb or know what I'm doing right like I don't actually know what I'm doing it's all completely you're not an up, expert on it you just I'm love spending expert. time with the flowers with and the plants and they're and they're my friends um, <laughs> what, what you what you are circling both of you is is Zen overactivity you know mm. I live by a pond where I I walk in the morning. And you see the same people taking the same pictures of the bird, same birds. Like I can just see it's the same picture of the same birds every day. And they're out there and they're, you know, and it's like they're getting a Zen thing out of it. They're not selling those things. They're, yeah. pro- they're not entering, you know, <laughs> photo contests. And um, so in that aspect, of course, that's what we all need. Absolutely. And um, so, okay. So the, the writer also talks about the millennial conundrum of being poorer than the generation before uh, that they're told they always need to have multiple streams of income and a side hustle. Uh, and you mentioned that there's people who turn their hobby into, you know, an extra $4 of profit on Etsy. But is the gig economy and the need for a side hustle basically fundamentally at odds with uh, having a hobby, Benari? I mean, I think that that's, that's sort of the thing that you know, I, I was wrestling with is when does it stop being a hobby? And I think, I think the, I think making it commerce is how, you know, it's no longer a hobby when it, when it starts to be something that you require, uh, that it, that it makes money for you. It's gotta be for the, it's gotta be for the love. It's gotta be for fun. I I think that that's, you know, and I think that that's too bad that the gig economy is kind of ruining the fun for some people. Like if it is fun to just do arts and crafts and you can make some few bucks, but you don't need to make the few bucks, then it's still a hobby. Uh, by the way, just I should mention for people out there who are like considering developing a hobby, um, research shows that people who have hobbies are generally healthier and have a lower risk of depression and dementia. So that's uh, another reason to go out there. And, unless your hobby is depression. Or, or dementia. <laughs> or dementia. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I forgot. Because <laughs> I thought I was a clock radio. <laughs> I don't even know how I dark. got Dark. So dark. <laughs> um, folks, uh, let me know. Where are you on, the, on Hobby Talk? Uh, and let us know where hobby? are you? Because we're not sure anymore. <laughs> Hey, are you are you a uh, g- grooming a bonsai tree as we speak? What's your deal? Um, and do you have a hard time? And I also I do recommend grooming a bonsai tree. I actually often think I should buy a bonsai tree. That might be like grooming something on a small scale like that, and like c- constantly taking care of it might be fun for me. I, I um, like needlepoint of Metallica lyrics. Needlepoint of Metallica lyrics. Um, okay, because nothing else matters. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, so, folks, let me know where you are. Are you needle-pointing Metallica lyrics? And, the folks, that is the end of the show. Oh, the two of you are just... I'm so I sad mean, it's real over. pros, utterly. I know. How quickly did it go? Too quickly. Um, I would love for the people of Faith the Nation to be able to follow you in all of the good works that you do. Banari, where do they do that? Uh, you know what? Best thing to do is find me on Twitter and Instagram at Benari Lee, B-E-N-A-R-I-L-E-E. And uh, I'll let you know when I'm up to. Uh, definitely do that. Definitely find a way to see this man perform stand-up comedy live. It's just one of the most enjoyable experiences. You can usually and find me at Flappers uh, in the next uh, you know couple of weeks or so. So Flappers <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, Bruce, where do people find you? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you can find me at BruceYoMcCullough.com or I'm on Twitter at um, Bruce at Bruce, Bruce Um And I'm out there. But He's not in a creepy there. way. You should, <laughs> in a non-creepy <laughs> way, you should see him perform in New York City in October. Um, I'll be there. Let me know if you're going. And uh, as for me, you know where to find me and all the stuff that I do. But I just want to remind folks that the show Gutsy is now available on Apple TV+. Plus, I had the very distinct honor of being on an episode. It's Hil- Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton's new show on Apple TV. And it's just so uplifting and really lovely. And I know that I'm in it and I'm biased and, uh, and all of that. But I really do think this is a really terrific show that deserves your eyeballs. Uh, and I'm going to be performing with the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up tour. Uh, you can see me in um, Texas, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, in Austin, and in uh, Kalamazoo. So definitely uh, come out to uh, see me in those shows. Uh, tickets, if they're not right this second available, will be available soon. I think they're available. I'm pretty sure they're available. Go to my website um and go to their website you know what i mean go to just all of the websites check, and go every, to my website and then go check to bruce's, bruce's website. website go to bruce's website and then see me in austin <laughs> all right um but what, what i'd really love to do is thank everyone who makes this show possible that's our wonderful producer andrew mcguire our fantastic audio engineer stephanie aguilar thanks to everyone at headgum for making their show a possibility please uh keep sending us your races to watch that's an electoral contest to watch uh, ahead of the midterms and uh you can send us ideas for the show um segment ideas panelist ideas idea ideas and you can do that at fake the nation at headgum.com and we will be back in your earballs next week That was a HeadGum Podcast.